0: Hello and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carvell and I'm Al Hunt. Thanks for joining us. This week we are joined by Wall Street Journal White House reporter and author of Frankly We Didn't Win This Election, How Trump Actually Lost, by Michael Bender. Remember, we take your questions each episode, so write into politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to politicon for next week's show. We'll get to as many as we can. Don't forget, tell us where you're from. And please check out the link to this week's sponsors, Blinkist and HelloFresh, in the show notes. We thank you for supporting our sponsors. It really helps make this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us. Remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, James, we're at a crucial stage on voter suppression. Biden has weighed in with a strong speech this week. Texas Democrats and, and the state legislature left the state to prevent Republicans from ramming through a voter suppression bill in a state that already has a lot of voter restrictions. Democrats face a full agenda with the infrastructure and American families measures coming up confirmation but I'll tell you it's important they get this damn thing done by Labor Day there's a lot at stake here yeah and there's a lot of pressure coming
1: I, I mean I, I I don't know what to say other than I concur but you 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 got to you got to get the two votes yeah I, I think there's a chance that we do but I, I don't. I don't think there's anything more to say about it. And if we don't, it's going to be a catastrophe. Yeah. I, I. I wish. There, I mean, there's been a lot of written about it. There's been a lot of angst. A lot of people worked on this. Uh, um, I think it's critical to to democracy. But it, you know, it's, it's taken a while. That's all I can say.
0: Yeah. I, I think actually, there's been a lot of stuff written about it. has not been very good. There've been exceptions. Ron Brownstein always, but. Uh, A lot of people say it's dead. It's not dead. It still faces some hurdles. Uh, But uh, but here's what we know. There's not going to be any Republican support and the filibuster won't be changed. Those are two realities. So the only recourse is a carve out to protect, as you say, the lifeblood of a democratic system. Now, Biden gave a terrific speech. There are some people who worry about the White House. There are some people at the White House who say, well, yeah, we want it, but, you know, it's not as important as our economic plan, and we can deal with any voting system. That's a terrible miscalculation. You know,
1: and Ron wrote that. And a a good reporter can—and this is just something I know from my time during the Clinton years— a good reporter can find somebody in the White House to say anything. All right? I don't know—and Ron claims it was a senior person, and and, and I'm sure that he didn't get the quote wrong— But I I just seriously doubt if that reflects Biden's thinking. All right, and I think that somebody said that was like, okay, we're smart, we want, and you know sometimes you have some hubris. But I'm I'm always in my own experience. I'm always a little skeptical because you can get a, a senior White House official to say about anything. You know, if you shop, if you ask long and hard enough, you get them to say something.
0: Well, dames, I disagree with you on this particular episode. As a generic case, that may be true. First of all, it's Ron Brownstein. Second of all, I have heard it from some of the people who are pushing hard for this. That it's not that there's an opposition from the White House, but there is there is an ambivalence. Some people recognize the importance, but some people, some people you know well, say, "Hey, we can really overcome any system." That's the miscalculation. Right. It, 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 as long as
1: as Joe Biden is not, some people, I, I, I agree with this. If he, some well, people, it would yeah. be really depressing. Yeah, and and, yeah, and, and uh, the way be, that they think is, if we don't get this through, we, our people can't be demoralized. I mean, if I'm thinking one step ahead, and I'm saying, shit, this may not happen, if we tell people our whole electoral chances are, are in this basket and it doesn't happen, then what do you say? I mean, it's a, it's, 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 it's a little more complex. Now, I don't have any doubt, first of all, it was whatever Ron said. I think is absolutely true I just don't think that in, in that may be a kind of locker room talk oh we don't like the referees but we'll go out and win anyway okay sometimes you got to do that I, I find that hard to believe that this this is not something they really want to get done
0: well I'm not sure where they are uh, I'm not sure that's the case but I tell you I'm sure it's the case with Pelosi and Schumer and that actually may matter more because if Pelosi and, and Schumer go one way Joe Biden's going to go that way uh, but uh, but they have to. I also am criticizing the press a little bit. They just have to ask a very simple question. Why are the Republicans doing this? We had an election with a record turnout. Everyone who looked at it said it's the most secure election in history. No reports uh, of any real voter fraud. And yet, you know, the Jim Abbotts of the world are treated as if they're serious people talking about serious stuff. They are not. They are. They are perpetuating another big lie, and uh, you know I think that hey, I think the know, press can do a right, better drive. I think the continu- they're pretty upfront about it. We can't win an election if we let everybody
1: vote. I mean, that, that was from Trump well, himself. I, I mean, that, it, you yeah. know, they said we did this to try to, to try to win the election. Well, which the Supreme Court says fine, as long as you're trying to win the election, you can gerrymander, you, you can do what you want. And uh, they're not not—they're not very duplicitous about it. I mean, they're just like, this is the only way we can hold on to power.
0: Well, I think that's their motive. There's no question of mm-hmm. that. But A lot of them say it. The Jim Abbotts of the world, when the Jim Abbotts and Tim Scotts of the world come out and say, this doesn't deny anyone right. the franchise. This doesn't uh, prevent anyone. I think, are you talking Greg Abbott? I think you're better. talking
1: about Greg Abbott, aren't you?
0: I am. Right. So Jim Abbott was right. the he had a one pitch. I was like, I kept
1: saying, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, I'm going to give right. you three chances. I, and then I'm going to say, well, i got <laughs> I
0: prefer Jim Abbott to Greg I, Abbott. Uh, I, I, but in any right, been, we're stuck with Greg yeah. Abbott. Uh, so, uh, well, okay, let's, you know, we we, we got to keep following right. us. So, James, uh, the other thing, uh, speaking of our favorite reporters, uh, our friend Tom Etzel had a terrific piece, which you noted to me earlier, uh, about the c- culture wars. Uh, and it really is, is fascinating. I mean, some of the predictable people on the right, like Peggy Noonan, are saying, well, it's the liberals who are really initiating this, but there are also some people, you know, who are not uh, on the right, like Kevin John who are also saying, well, this is really the liberals. It's not. Uh, the, the culture wars are being waged predominantly by the right. It's on, it's on uh, transgender and sports, the critical race theory, abortion, anything else. What happens is there are some very, very loud voices... On the left they are a very small part of the party but they have a much bigger megaphone and they are uh, uh, the ones that are getting attention but when it comes to the culture wars it's not being waged by joe biden it's not being waged by nancy pelosi it's not being waged by chuck schumer or barack obama or governors like broy cooper and gretchen whitmer this is the right effort to try to go and and create a wedge issue playing the race card uh, for 2022 and 2024.
1: So if I were still teaching, which I'm not, this is the assignment I would give my students, and, and I hope that we've got a lot of really smart listeners, and I, I need help on this. Everybody needs help on this. On one side, which is not a a large part of the Democratic Party, maybe 15 or 20%, but somehow or another seems to get a, a lot of the coverage, says that America's inherently... Racist country. It's been that way since 1619. Even if you pass laws for equality, you're not going to get equity. So what we got to do is overturn the entire system. All right, that's one view. The contrasting view is: is we used to be a great country, and if we just went back to the country we in 1954, when we ruled the world. And, and and people were respected, and, and, and communities were respected, and people knew where they stood in society, that would be better. Okay, neither one of those, to me or to people like, I think that, like our audience, are particularly attractive. So what we say in a very cumbersome way is, look, America's an experiment. It it, it grew out of the Enlightenment. It had to deal with an awful problem, and that was was slavery, and we've had a terrible time dealing with it, the founders knew we would, we saw it in the compromise, of, in Missouri compromised, and, compromise and on and on and on. But that actually, we agree with Martin Luther King, the arc of history bends toward justice, and while we're a flawed nation, we're at the same time a great nation, and we're better than we were, that, I'm already losing that argument, all right? And so, what I need, it, it, I can frame it. I, I just can't come up with how do we tell our view of what the United States is, because it's very important. Not the United States are the United States is it, it, to push forward, and that's the kind of stuff that candidates are going to need in this cycle, because it's it's right. it's, it's, it's easy to say you 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 were born. You know, what did Willie Stark say? Man is conceived in sin and born in corruption. He passes from the stink of the deity to the stench of the shroud. That's the the kind the of, this is an inherently racist country view. Just, nothing can be done. And what you try doesn't matter because this is just the way we live. Of course, the other view is, is we had a golden era. And if you were, <clears throat> you know, 1954, yeah, if you were a white male, it was pretty much a golden era. If you were a female or a gay or a, 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 a non-white or or anything else or in elderly poverty, it wasn't worth a shit, right? And we're trying to, and I don't want to say we're not trying to get in the middle. We're trying to give people an accurate view of what the history of this country is. And it's really hard on messaging. It is very difficult. So any of our listeners that can give us a hand in this and, you know, in twenty-five words or less, let us know <laughs> because I am struggling. I'm struggling. Yeah,
0: and I call my friend. They, they, they have it much easier, James, because they can they can oversimplify, they can demagogue. I mean, you know what it is. Uh, look, we have made a great deal of pro- progress. We have a lot more to go. But, but that's uh, right. But that's that's, a hard, that's, hard. that's hard. You
1: know, I I say we've made a great deal. We still have a ways to go. I, I yeah. but whatever. Yeah. It, 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 you're trying to, you know, accurately you know, portray where you think the country has been and where it is. And I mean, of course, there are great, great debates over history. But I, I I think our history is complicated. And it, when it comes to race, it's been, on the whole, horrific. But it also, we've made real changes. And I mean, I'm more of the Frederick Douglass, Martin Luther King kind of view of the world than I am toward the, the sort of Malcolm X view of the world. But it, it, it's something that it, it and they get a lot of that I, I, by the way most most and i said no not most a, a, a significant majority of black people agree with our side of the argument if you can see it that you saw it in new york state you saw it in louisiana you saw it in virginia you saw it in the democratic presidential primaries of 2000 i can't drive this home enough it's fifteen percent of our party that gets sixty-five percent of the coverage, and it's sixty-five percent of their party that gets fifteen percent of the coverage. And it's not yeah, an equal it's, thing. It's not. And, and another I, it, another
0: it's another, it's it. another big test, James, will be that Ohio congressional race. So we got to watch that carefully. Yeah, it is. So Jim Clyburn yeah, is he, weighed
1: he weighed in, and that yeah. just shows you the the depth of the the division, and and if. if, if uh, What's the name the Senate Nina Turner. If if she wins that closely, that that is not going to be that good for that. You know, she she got really name recognition and everything. It's it's, going to be interesting, but you're right. That's one that we're going to have to look at and look at hard.
0: Yeah. Speaking of interesting people to look at, Eddie Edwards, Edwin Edwards, the former governor of your state, passed away this week at 93. What a career, James. Well, the unique thing is uh,
1: Edwards' electoral career spanned... Uh, five decades. He was first elected to the Crowley City Council in 1954. But as our listeners, Crowley town about 15,000 people about 20, 25 miles west of Lafayette, kind of the high town the way to Houston. In his career, the most remarkable thing about his career was he was successful. He was four times governor of state. I think we, we point out four times elected to the Congress. I, I don't know if it was one or two times elected to city government and never ever ever used race which is very hard to find in any southern politician particularly a really successful southern politician so that's oh, about that, that era it's it just it's almost yeah. it, it because it was honestly I Edwards was older than I was he died in 93 I'm 76 but I remember it well and I was you can't imagine because we had always had Protestant governors, and we had governors from, from North Louisiana. And you can't imagine what it meant to the South Louisiana, to Cajun people like myself, that he was elected. It was a watershed movement. The one other thing that Edwards did, you will understand this because you grew up in Pennsylvania, some of our older listeners will, he never campaigned against New Orleans that that everybody ran against philadelphia everybody ran against chicago everybody ran against new york city okay that right. that was just a given if you were in statewide politics in georgia you ran against atlanta all right and he never ever it, it there's not a in, in in to my knowledge in 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 his background and there never was a whiff of not just anti-black but anti-semitism anti-urbanism anti-protestantism he actually i think he was a Grew up in the Church in Nazarene. He had a a very. He was a preacher for right, a while. And he knew, probably knew the Bible better than ninety nine percent of the people, you know, spewing this crap on TV. One time he, in Shreveport, he said maybe Jesus didn't die; he might have just swooned.
0: <laughs> and He got away with that, okay? Uh, so that was, you know, that was <laughs> that was one of the less controversial right. things. And, and, maybe remember, I um, mean, you know, the great the great one he said that. Uh, I think, it was, I think it was Dean McKay. I'm not sure that, you know, the only way they're going to beat me in this election, they, uh, you know, catch me with a... a live girl, a dead boy. A, bo- uh, live, a li- girl. live girl yeah. or a dead boy. I mean, you no, know, so it's I think just, uh, a, a,
1: a live boy or a dead girl, but it doesn't matter. That's... Yeah, I'm... Yeah, a, it was, a
0: live boy or a dead, dead girl. Yeah, well, well <laughs> Al and I it's are Craig writing Hammond. a piece.
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, it'll come out. I'm, I'm going to send you a link, a uh, Clancy DuBois... Who's got a, of course, a great Louisiana name? How can you have a better name than like Michael Branch Deval, the same last name, but who is probably the most experienced and best political observer we had in the state in the last thirty years? And he points out, I want to put a link into it now. In piece that that Edwards grew up very modestly. Edwards actually grew up like ten miles from where my mother grew up, in, in a in a in not a very fashionable part of the state called Avoyles Parish, and. He he always maintained that sense of, of, of modesty and modest people or poor people sort of understood that about him. He had a real connection. He never Evan Evans, in terms of his relationships with the voters, never got too big for his britches.
0: Which is a uh, common well, he, problem. He was he he left a real mark, uh, and um, you know, we ain't gonna see his likes again, no, probably. No, James you you're not. It.
1: You're not. You know, we'd have to note he made one terrible mistake. He taunted the federal prosecutors. If anybody out here, don't taunt these prosecutors. Okay, don't dare them to indict you because they will. Right, but but his right uh, right, is
0: worthy of this discussion. Yes, it is. It is. Hey, turn your goals into reality this summer and take action to start learning. What you need to do is get to the next level by joining us and using Blinkist. Blinkist takes top nonfiction books and gives you the key takeaways in text and audio explainers called Blinks that you can learn in just 15 minutes. You can use Blinks to tackle procrastination. Some of us have that problem. Get started on developing an idea or business. Take your projects to the next level or dive into history with titles like A Short History of Brexit and What Happened. They've blinked thousands of titles in 27 categories. And if you like podcasts, they blink those too with Shortcast. And it's all in one app and right in your pocket so you can learn anytime, anywhere with Blinkist. You're a devotee, James.
1: I, I, you know, people are looking for a beach read. I just got Dan Silver's new book. Of course, anything that Dan writes, I, I always read. But you know, see, you see these book sections, you know, here are 10 best beach reads. Well, if you have Blinkist, you can have 10 beach reads in, a, in one sitting on the beach okay <laughs> you don't even have to go through the trouble of reading the whole book so it's it it's not only informative it's kind of fun and and it, to, to the extent that i'm able to discern anything it, it it really reflects what the work is really about so here are 10 beach reads a day so you, you're gonna you're gonna have a good are you gonna learn a lot on the beach this summer if you have Blinkist?
0: And I every time I read the Sunday book reviews or I look online, I see another seven or eight books I wish I could read. And you know something, I ain't going to get to 90% of them unless you use something like right. Blinkist. You know, two two big ones for this summer are A Promised Land by Barack Obama and The Soul of America by John Meacham. Blinkist now, James, has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash warroom to start a free seven-day trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash war you get 25% off and a seven-day free trial. Blinkist.com slash or look for the link in our show notes. Hey, James, there are going to be lots of books on the Trump administration. There already is a terrific one. Frankly, we did win this election, the inside story of How Trump Lost by Michael C. Bender, the star White House correspondent for The Wall Street Journal. Michael, we are delighted to have you on this program. And
2: I'm so excited to be here.
0: Let me ask you, there are so many incredible inside stories in this book. Uh, both James and I were just riveted reading it. Uh, and I thought the Trump campaign, the Trump administration was horrible. It was worse after reading your book. Uh, and Trump wanted to make it worse. He wanted to shoot people and things of that sort. And people yeah. say, hey, he was stopped from doing it. You know, we, we, we got out of it. But my question is the other way around. Many of these staffers, and you make clear, knew he was a very, very dangerous man, a man in over his head who had no interest in governing. I would exempt military leaders like Milley and Mattis, but why, mm. how do the others justify this? Why didn't they quit?
2: Well, I think um, I, I, I think the the answer there is partly that's why they wanted to talk to me. I, th- I think for a lot of these folks, they, everyone had different motivations for participating in this book. Talked to uh, a lot of people, um, and 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 some of them uh, wanted to talk to me because they didn't have anyone else to talk to about this stuff. I mean, I was covering it on a day to day basis. I've known these people, a lot of these people for years, um, and I think some of it is that they 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 couldn't. Some of them couldn't figure out how to speak concisely to trump to tell him no in a direct way um and because you in a lot of cases you you see what happens to people who disagree with him um so do you do you try to be a guardrail and you know sort of pinball him back into the center lane or do you lay down in the middle of the road uh i think um either way uh the answer is what we've seen with, with, with trump is that uh is that you end up just kind of being a, becoming a speed bump? There's he needs a cul-de-sac a lot of times, and 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 there's uh, and he's just got a, a lot of speed bumps around him. Um, and, and you're right that there was uh, what's revealed in this book is, 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 is not the chaos, right, Al? I mean, we know about that. Like huh. with, with these, what I was struck by these stories that I would, that folks were telling me was was the danger of it, right? That they were they were worried that Trump had become so desperate to hang on to power that he was becoming violent and reckless in his decisions. Well, let me just, That's what's new about this it, book.
0: There's it, it, so much new about this book and so much good about this book. Let me just pick up on two. After the election, those around Trump, they knew he lost. I mean, they didn't mm-hmm. buy the big lie theory. They knew it was total bullshit. Um, but, you know, nutbags like Rudy Giuliani may have believed it, but nobody said anything, you know, mm-hmm. until much later. I mean, back then, now most Republicans believe the big lie. If some of them yeah. <clears throat> had come out and said it, maybe even left, that might have made yeah. a difference.
2: So I, I, I think that's right. I mean, the, uh, uh, the the one person who had been telling him no consistently and had prevented some very dangerous situations was General Mark Milley. You, you mentioned the military leaders yeah. um, earlier. But by November, uh, that relationship had frayed. Uh, uh, Milley was in a defensive crouch. He was, he was uh, uh, trying to prepare for the worst. Um, and, the, you know, you, uh, another kind of fascinating character, I think, in, in parts of this book is Ronna McDaniel. She she is willing at certain points to at, at, at most points, really, to to tell Trump what she believes is the right thing and be very direct about it. She's a she's a you know, Midwestern uh, suburban mom. I don't She doesn't really know any other way. That's just that, that's how she uh, that's her personality. Um, but 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 Rana and Mike Pence uh, and even Millie to a little degree early on, uh were surprised that trump uh wasn't foaming at the mouth mad that he wasn't screaming at people like he they they left these meetings with him thinking, well, he might just need a little bit of space to blow off a little steam to find his own way to something that looks like a concession that 's what they were telling people, but boy but they had a lo- bad
0: they had a bad sense of trumpian history, as you may clear the other speaking of a bad sense of history, you know one of your one of your just you know eye rolling anecdotes is John Kelly. The chief of staff had to explain to Trump who was on which side in World War One. Trump's right. never been a big fan of history, but like then Trump course. tells him that you know Hitler did some good things. Hitler, yeah. I mean, why <laughs> didn't John Kelly say I'm out of here and I'm going to tell people we have a Hitler
2: admiring commander in chief? I think that was a question that John Kelly struggled with. Um, and there's and, and to that point, there's another scene in the book later. Where uh, when Millie becomes uh, gets the nomination for the Joint Chiefs of uh, Chairman position, and he meets with John Kelly ahead of time, and John Kelly tells him uh, that Trump wants to give you this job, and Millie says, "Well, what do you think? You know, what, should I do it?" And you know, it, Kelly looks at him and says, "Mark, I would get as far away from this fucking place as I could." And really, literally, Al, the next day, uh, uh, it, Kelly announces that he's leaving but um, I—that that is a question for a long time that John, uh, that General Kelly uh, struggled to answer. Um, and I think it partly is, uh, to my earlier answer, he viewed himself as, as, as a protector. And, and if not him, who? And he looked around that office, as you well know, uh, Trump did not exactly come into office with the A-team.
0: And no, this is now,
2: yeah. yeah, and yeah. now this is the second year. Um, You know, I think he was worried about that it would get worse if he left.
0: Let me try one more and then go to James. Mm -hmm. You know, you spend a lot of time with the grassroots Trump loyalists, the front row Mm -hmm. Joes. Uh, You even once wisely turned down an invitation to share a room with one to save money. Thank you, (laughs) Ashley. Uh, And I don't mean this condescendingly, Mm -hmm. but unlike the Reaganites who were driven by ideology or maybe the Obama followers motivated by history and, and, and racial justice this looks like more of a cult
2: yeah i I, yeah i think there's there's some similarities uh they 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 are you know i was interested in finding out who who are the kind of people that go to rally after rally after rally and you know trump is not exactly on script but it's always the same it's always the same put downs it's always the same types of messages um so and and people know that and show up for it so so what is it about them that 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 you know that makes them interested in, in the show, um, and the answer is, uh, and I spent a lot of time, two years, uh, basically embedded with, with with a group of the, these hardcore supporters to uh, to get to know them and, and and treat them as humans, right, Al? Instead of so go, you know how it goes. Uh, normally, I would go to the front of the line at the Trump rally and and try to you know sweep up the craziest quote about how uh, you know AOC is a Muslim, a secret Muslim who wants to kill the country, and write it down and and, and be done with them. But I, you know, I did not. Uh, share a hotel room with them. But I did, you know, uh, (laughs) stay with them late into the night, uh, you know, where they camped out ahead of Trump rallies, Uh, met them in line early, you know, uh, hours before, um, you know, the event. And um, they are people who have a lot of time on their hands, right? They are people who never had families, uh, might be estranged from their families uh maybe recent retirees looking for 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 ways to fill their time, and they built this community around themselves uh uh they get you know uh uh libby drives from Connecticut to Cincinnati and stops in uh you know in erica 's uh, uh farm in Akron to spend the night on you know uh, a couple of them get married and and then divorce um you know it, they, they their lives in a weird way become richer and fuller and bigger uh Sandra. Uh, she's after she does goes to so many rallies and so many events in 2020, um, she's surprised to find out what, that she's earned frequent flyer status on, uh, on American air. Um, we were, the rest of the country's locked down, right? Barely left the house. And she's traveled so much that she's, you know, she's telling me how good the seats are in first class. Um, you know, and then what, and then unfortunately really is, is what happens is that their worlds become smaller again when, uh. When Trump drags them into this big lie and right. really shrinks their their world once again, James.
1: So, so Michael, you obviously really were embedded with these people, which a, a good reporter does, and I, I, I congratulate you with that. Just a good, a good war correspondent gets embedded where, you know he knows the sergeants, you know, and sometimes better than the generals. And obviously, when this thing happened these people collectively after the election had this Mm -hmm. oh fuck moment all right the history is going to judge us poorly we're not going to get jobs we're going to be answering for all this so i'm you know the catholics say confession is good for the soul so you're (laughs) like the priest all right and you're hearing confessions and Mm -hmm. you're scribbling it down but and and i understand where they're coming from but why didn't they say something mm-hmm. before? Why didn't we 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 know? Yeah, you know, it was a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, and I, I I know that everything you took down is accurate, but I think there's some cover yeah. my ass in here.
2: Um, you know, I uh, this is the thing. I mean, that the, the the latter point of the CYA is is a bigger problem of covering Trump world, right? I mean, I've I've, I've a lot of my colleagues in the in journalism think. Trump must be so easy because there's so much material. Well, in fact, if you want to tell an accurate story, it's actually just as harder, or, or if not harder, because there's so much incoming that's wrong. Or, you know, uh, 10 people leave a meeting and there's 12 versions of what happened. Uh, and you have to talk to everyone to, to nail it down. I do think, um, I think that's a question that, uh, that that all of these folks around Trump will have to answer. And And going back to the beginning, right? I mean... Uh, Why were any of them there from the beginning? What struck me in in covering Trump and then writing this book is that Trump's main goal from day one, literally day one, he files paperwork for re-election. The only thing he really, really wants is, number one thing, is to win re-election. I don't know. I couldn't tell you uh, one single person in four years who shared that as his or her top priority. Um, I mean we could go through the list of who wanted to you know uh, get immigration bills passed, who wanted you know who wanted that first tax bill uh, you know who wanted the it, it was more interested in tech committees and um, you know it, it, and that sort of thing. so th- your motivations are already very mixed for, for 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 working the Trump administration to begin with. Um, I think there is everyone you know Bill Barr uh, you know he he did he stormed out. He had to be talked out of quitting by other senior senior officials who thought uh, that he was one of the adult voices in the room. And that was a a confrontation over election fraud. Um, You know, uh, there there are Ronna McDaniel tells him, no, I'm not going to use the Republican National Committee to disseminate and spread these lies. Right. Like she 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 does it. She checks out uh, the things he wants, the uh, claims claims in Michigan, comes back and says it's not true and I'm not going to do it. And so for her, that was, I think, uh, you know, kind of good enough. Right. Like she that, that was good enough for her conscience that she had told Trump that she wouldn't do it. Um, you know, uh, there are other people around who are a little more nuanced. Mike Pence, you know, how clear was Mike Pence with Trump? that he was not going to uh, uh, tur- overturn the results on January 6th. I-, I think that's an open question. I think Pence had a way of, of, uh, of saying yes and no to Trump, or, or, or maybe, maybe not, where at least where it was enough for Trump to hear, uh, you know, here maybe he's got a shot, right? I mean, I mean, the quote I'm thinking about in the book is, Pence tells Trump, uh, I don't think that's legal. I don't think that's possible but I'll look at whatever you give me. I'll look at whatever your lawyers produce. Well, which part do you think Trump latches on to? I mean, he told me in mar lago in one of our interviews that Pence never told him no. Uh, you know, Trump's version of history is a, is, is a little bit off sometimes, so, um, you know, but I think it's instructive in what he, you know, thought he heard.
1: Do, do, do you think that, that Pence has an idea of how history, harsh history is going to be on him and how harsh the Republican Party is going to be on him for the rest of his days. I mean, he, he's, a, he's a man without yeah. with of hope. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be anyway. really
2: interesting to see what, what Pence does. Um, I mean, the fact that those two men are, are are on speaking terms now, right? Having phone calls back and forth. Um, right. And, uh, you know, Trump's actions put Mike Pence's family's life in danger. I mean, Right. And yeah, exactly oh, my Pence <laughs> And uh, Mike like Pence. Donald Trump and you believe you know your version of events, your vice president committed treason, right? so like how do these somehow these two men are talking to each other without ever I mean I asked Trump about this in one of the interviews uh, you know that that he must have wanted right I asked him if, if Pence had apologized to him because certainly Trump, if he believes this, must want. Pence to apologize. He, of course, Trump has never asked for that. And he told me that they don't talk about it. I I, I, I don't know how, if you're Mike Pence, you, you, you take that phone call. Um, to, you know. So this is, I know your question was a larger one about history, but even in the moment, yeah. Right, right.
1: I'm saying, right, no. It's, 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 he's screwed by the, in the long term, the short term, and the media term. The <laughs> I mean, that covers, it, he, it. Just, <laughs> he just... has no, got... He's got, he's got so, and I, I, this is a question I, I know you've, hmm. you're, you're not going to answer, mm-hmm. but I'll give it the best shot you have. And it's just something subjective you don't know. Does Trump really yeah. believe that the election was stolen from him? At the end of the day, is he really deep down inside
2: believed that or he just knew that if he lost power, yeah. he I was think, in horrible trouble? I, I think it kind of depends on the day. I mean, and I say that because the people, yeah, the people who work yeah, okay. with him on a day-to-day basis um, struggle with that same question. I mean, they I because I, I, I put that to them and no one really has a good answer. Um, again, like he, I mean, sometimes Trump talks about this in ways of like, uh, you know, we gave it our best shot that sort of suggests he knows what happened. Um, and yet again, when I was down there um, in, in late spring twice, uh, he almost every question I asked him, he brought back to missing ballots in Detroit Right. The suitcases in Georgia, the conspiracy theories in Arizona, which told me that, you know, if we're still if he's still that, uh, you know, focused on this. This is before he started his rallies again, that that he, there, there must be part of him that believes this was actually stolen. And whatever he believes, there's 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 too much of the base. Uh, well, and that's the yeah, problem yeah, here, yeah. no matter what he believes, the base believes him. The base bel- the, uh, believes that the election was stolen, and then the, even the Republican officials who, who, who know it's a lie and know it's not true, think that Trump might be onto something here, and in, in, uh, and uh, using this, you know, uh, election fraud issues to motivate the base. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So I will turn over. have one more, one more observation. So there's a piece on Substack. I I, I got to figure out how to get it and this is a new thing, is we've got to try to understand these people, that, that mm-hmm. they have a view that the election was stolen. That, 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 if, if, and I just have to say this. If you don't believe the climate is changing and you don't believe in vaccines and you believe the election mm-hmm. was stolen from Trump, you're fucking stupid. <laughs> okay? I don't need to understand you. I mean, you're just goddamn stupid. I mean, at some point, mm-hmm. you have to make a value judgment. All right? I mean, you have to, like, respect people. You have mm-hmm. to respect the opinion. You have to listen to them. But they, you're just impervious yeah. to any evidence at all. I, I'm sorry. There's just, there's not a, I, I, maybe I could see that you have some view of one. It's hard to, but all three, man, that, that, it's hard to see. It's hard for me to see
2: <laughs> Well, you know, nice I nice. uh, I don't know if it's the Midwesterner in me. It's a little more compassionate than that, that or, or the journalist in me that wants to play it down the middle. But I will say, like, the, yeah. I mean, it's a question that I've kind of tried to, uh, uh, explore a little bit with these front row Joes, with these rally goers. And I do think that, I mean, I, I, it, I've, there's little cracks here and there, right? And, and um, uh, you know, Libby asks me, you know, is, is COVID real? You know, is, it, it's not really a hoax, right? Like there are, so, I mean, I, and I say that because if they are given, you know, the, if there is, if they are given a little bit of uh, understanding um, you know, that uh, on some sort of human level, that there is, it's not just a complete waste, right? I mean, there, there are plenty of people who, who have now just, like, turned off Fox, right? I mean, who spent the last four years with Fox as the background music to their lives. And and since Fox called the election, uh, they won't even turn on Fox anymore, right? So, like, I don't know what, I don't know how you, you, uh, uh, you know, find middle ground. And, and there's folks like that on both sides of the aisle, but... Um, uh, I, I, you know, there was, there, there, there is some interesting kind of uh, nuance there that, uh, takes a lot of time and energy and, uh, uh, um, uh, patience to, to, um, you know, and I, and I hope comes through in the book here, which is, um, uh, you know, I, I, I did really want to show the humans and this is, you know, this is the, these are the old, this is not like the, 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 the um, kind of young white militant Trump supporters This is a different sort of cross-section of the Trump base, but, um. To, to get, right. You know, I, I think they were, at the end of the day, misled. Um, and, you know, I think that's the, I think that's the, the <laughs> issue there, right? Like, I, I, I mean, the, the blame is on Trump, not them, is what I'm trying to say. Uh,
1: you know, they were brainwashed. Maybe it didn't take very much to the cleaners. But anyway, go well, ahead, Al. You
0: know, I'm going to give Trump credit for something, Michael. Uh, I think he's a career criminal, a pathological liar, uh, as I made clear. And I think your book—but what your book shows, I think— is that this was really a a second, third, fourth-rate team. They just weren't very Mm -hmm. good, the people he had around him. There were no Leon Panettas or Jim Bakers, or in the campaign there were no Carvilles or Stu Spencers or David Axelrods. They really were worse than mediocre. But he won one time, and he got 74 million votes the next time. And I think, you know, I don't know if credit's the right word, but... He, like, like many demagogues, except he's better than most, he has a diabolical sense of grievance, mm-hmm. racial and otherwise, and he plays to it better than probably um, any other demagogue uh, around. Yeah, I
2: mean, I, the one, that was one of the things I really tried to, to, to pull through the book is that this is not just a, for Trump, particularly um, uh, an issue for him in the four years, right? I mean, he was, he was, he was testing some of these issues uh, for years ahead of time. I, I know you you two are well aware of that, but it was striking to me to go back and see some of the clips from and knowing what I know now about Trump, having spent so much time with him and, and and looking at old videos and reading the old stories and old speeches from the 80s and 90s uh, where he's, uh, you know, uh, praising the, uh, the Ayatollah in Iran, right? Or, um, uh, I mean, going after Japan where he goes after China now. And there is part of me that, you know, goes back and looks at these things and he was he was dismissed for so long as just a um, you know that was all part of an act that it was all part of a, a PR scheme and I'm sure I I just don't think that it was like uh, cut and dry for him I I think he was interested in running in some of those in in some of those instances particularly in 2012 maybe even in two even in 2000 um, he was talking the same way you know saying the same things. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's it, it it was it was kind of fascinating to uh, to, to try to pull some of that uh, into the context into the book.
0: Mm-hmm. Hey, Michael, let me ask you this: uh, Jared Kushner, whose deficiencies I think you capture very well in this book, mm-hmm. is writing his own book. What do you think he's going to do? Is he going to just? He's obviously going to justify
2: his own incompetence. But will he break no. with Trump? No, he won't break with Trump. I mean, that's one that you know. Getting back to James's earlier question about why. You know, people didn't quit. Um, it was—it was striking to me. Uh, Jared had told people at the end, particularly at the end. I think it was always an issue for Jared, but particularly at the end, he saw what was happening. Uh, you know, when Georgia Republicans come to, and Jared, for his deficiencies uh, in the context of Trump world, was actually quite good at keeping Trump focused. Uh, and I know that sounds—you know—I don't, I don't want to overstate that, but Jared was someone who could have success keeping Trump focused, keeping distractions away from him um, and was valued for that. And he was, uh, you know. Yeah, like like keeping Trump, uh, you know, away from COVID because we got to focus on
0: the economy. That was focused, but it sure as hell, you know, cost a (laughs) lot of lives. That's true.
2: Um, But, uh, you know, he he recognizes that I think for him, um, he sees Giuliani coming in. He sees that uh, that he's not going to be able that you know Giuliani has his own special special place uh, in Trump world and and a and a and a relationship that goes predates Jared with with Trump um, and Georgia Republicans in that, in that runoff are, are calling Jared saying we, you know we need help we need Trump to come you know stop talking about fraud start talking about Georgia and help the party keep control of one chamber here um, and. Um, and he And he put up his hands, i mean several Republicans told me that they were stunned that that, that Jared would never be that direct. he'd always maybe a brush off, but he told him point blank i can't help you and uh and so he focused on his you know middle east uh portfolio and uh you know now he's not now he doesn't have to face uh you know he can have he can invite uh his father in law to the kids' birthday parties and you know not have the cake and ice cream ruined by uh, uh, Trump complaining that uh, he might be president if only Jared had fought. If only had Jared hadn't talked him out of uh, of ending this early. Uh, I'm, I'm not looking forward <laughs> to reading that book. But anyway, go ahead, James. <laughs> uh, so I have th- this is a,
1: a, a minor issue, but when you have a rock in your shoe for mm-hmm. so long, you have to address it. And I want to talk about General Kelly. Uh, general Kelly was a four star Marine general. I was a E four. OK, I, he's distinguished and I can understand why he went in the White House. He was probably a lifelong Republican, as many confident people are. And, you know, he got out. He obviously told the story about what happened in, in France. Uh, he's he trying to cleanse himself. There's one thing he did in his life. And I, I just what the answer is, is yeah. a congressman from South Florida called Frederica, Frederica Wilson. And he said that she, he was at an event dedicated an FBI building, and all she talked about was herself. Mm-hmm. And of course, they ran the tape, and it was no such thing. Mm-hmm. Her remarks were actually pristine. And he never apologized. And if you ever talk to General Kelly, ask him, say, James Carville, a, car- a corporal wants to know, mm-hmm. why couldn't you just say, I fucked up? Okay? I didn't remember it right. He just refused and I, I gotta tell you there's 10% of me that wonders if race was mm-hmm. part of that I don't know that and I don't know him he's from Massachusetts mm-hmm. I, he's obviously got an outstanding record he, he was outstanding he was a very intrepid brave man but you know and, and he got into something as other people did that he saw what he was in he, he, he might have been able to act earlier but he sure has you know been pretty clear and leaked a lot of damaging stories on Trump but I just will never understand why that guy couldn't just owned that mistake. It wasn't a huge mistake, but he just refused to own it. And it, it, it just drives me a, batshit. It, but um, thank yes, you for letting it, me go, God, <laughs> my back. is not going to say
0: anything. Just, just yeah. go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Al. Mm-hmm. Go, no, no, no. Go just ahead. finally, Michael, um, you know, Trump loves to stay in the limelight. That's why he's got yeah. to keep open 2024. My, my gut tells me he's going to have health problems. He's obese and everything else. But if he doesn't, uh, and if the Re- Trump Republicans do well in twenty twenty two, his popularity still stays around thirty nine forty. What does your instinct tell you? Does yeah, your instinct he you run?
2: Uh, I, I think so. Um you're right. He wants to stay in the headlines. I mean that's what it more is now. I mean, I know he's talking about that he's made the decision. I I don't believe that. Uh I think he um I think he is but I think he has been talked into uh waiting at least to see what happens in twenty twenty two. Smartly waiting until twenty twenty two. He's made what twenty four endorsements, twenty five endorsements here, all the way from U.S. Senate to Staten Island Borough President, right? I mean, he's got to kind of see how that plays out. Um, I know. I, I don't think it's so easy to beat some of these incumbents in the in you know uh, in the Republican Republican primaries as you might think, um, you know. And and really, I mean, the party itself has a question to answer, which is, are they going to take this opportunity? This is the opportunity. To define themselves post-Trump, and are they going to or not? Right, and and I don't know what the answer to that is going to be. What I do know is that this book lays out in very clear ways um, and new ways uh, uh, that um, their their eyes should be wide open about very clear-eyed about what that choice is. Boy, they
0: sure they sure haven't made any effort to try to redefine themselves yet. They really are limning so far. Hey, Mike Bender, uh, you have been terrific. Hey, James, you know Bender <laughs> is a lot younger than we are. He's more plugged in than we are, and Everybody he's probably is. smarter yeah. than we are. But there's one thing, James. James, James. There's one thing that we share in common. Like us, he married above himself. To Ashley Parker, the dazzling oh, okay. White House correspondent for the Washington <laughs> Post and my star pen pupil in 2005, now we know why you now oh, wow. we know
2: why you've done so well, Michael Bender. Thank you for joining us. Oh my God, Al, she is uh, she's so, my best advisor, my best editor, uh, my best friend. I couldn't be any lucky. You're a lucky man. So, so Michael, what's
1: your, do you have any idea what your next project is? Because you're a young guy. I mean, this is going to be a this is not going to be the crowning. It's going to be the caps out of your career, but it's going to be on the way up. What are you looking at now? I don't know. I mean, I've
2: head. gotten the question a little bit about whether or not I want to write another book. I did, there, were, there were moments where I really did enjoy it, uh, the, the writing of it and uh, the moments that kind of stretch your legs a little bit in some of the writing and, and opportunities to source with new people and, and, and current sources right. get even deeper. But I will say I will never write a book during a pandemic again. That I can uh, I, I, I hope. Promise. If we
1: ever get rid of this hell, you might be right. Writing, writing this <laughs> pandemic for the rest of right. your goddamn life. Well,
2: there's no more pandemic you books know for it me. I'm sure
0: Ashley Parker will second that, uh, that comment. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mike Bender, you've been terrific. Thank you.
2: Thanks read, for having me on, guys. The book, Thank you so much. Read
0: the Michael Bender book. Uh, you know, we did win this election, How Trump Lost. He's a loser. Hey, now we want to tell you about a delicious meal service that really won the votes of our families during the last year, HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes all delivered right to your door. It makes cooking at home easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. And thanks to HelloFresh, eating healthier has never been easier, with low-cal, carb-smart, vegetarian options every week. And if you're busy like us, you'll love the time saved with HelloFresh's quick and easy meals, with 15- to 20-minute dinners and breakfast on the go. It's perfect for your fast-paced lifestyle. HelloFresh uses high-quality, fresh ingredients sourced directly from growers and delivered from the farm to your front door in under a week. all contact-free. The best part is every recipe is designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. Your whole family's going to love it, James. Yeah, i tell you, I, I, I use this. It, it,
1: one thing I can tell you if, you, if you get a tomato, or you get a pear, or you get a peach, th- one thing I'll assure you, the tomato is going to taste like, well, a tomato. The pear is going to taste like a pear, and a peach is going to taste like a peach. And that's it it's hard to get that in, in produce. And you go to the, the supermarket section of the store and I'm I'm a sort of fussy shopper and it all looks good and then you pick it up and it it don't taste worth a shit. Okay? Everything that they send you is gonna be at they they, they source it seasonally and it's all fresh. It the, this, is, this stuff is really good, really good. And, you, and a lot of it, you don't even have to cook. You don't need a recipe. You just wash it real good,
0: cut it up, and enjoy it. Well, yeah, you're right. Eat well with HelloFresh. Do it today. Go to HelloFresh.com slash WarRoom14 and use code WarRoom14 for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. For America's number one meal kit, remember, go to HelloFresh.com slash WarRoom14 and use code War Room 14 for up to 14 free meals, plus, as I say, free shipping. We also include the link in our show notes. Hey, James, you remember our friend from Denver last week who said he was about to drop off of the show because he wasn't pleased with what you were saying about... uh, the left wing Democratic Party. We have Linda in South Lake Tahoe, California. She is a Carvillian oh Democrat. My God. And she wants this Carvillian Democrat, <laughs> Linda, wants to know what can be done to get Democrats to act like Republicans, to jump into the pit and fight like our lives depend on it because our lives do. Why are Democrats in power such weaklings? Uh, what I would say is. <laughs> And also she asked, James, by the way, why is the media so stupid when asking questions of a lot of our political leaders? Well,
1: I, I, I can't do anything about the media, but what you can do is help me <laughs> on the question that I presented early in the show, <clears throat> is how can we have a, a muscular and robust message that says we've had good days behind us and better days ahead of us? Uh, and I, I, I can't think of another way to do it, but we're going to have to flush this out because we need a, a, a unifying message that we can rally around and be tough about it. But thank you very much, and I, I
0: appreciate that. And I know there's at least one Carvillian Democrat out there. <laughs> well, I think there are probably a lot more. But, Linda, uh, that's a challenge. So write us and tell us how we can uh, meet uh, uh, the Carvillian challenge that James just, uh, just threw out. Dave in Northfield, Minnesota says, didn't Ronald Reagan brag some years ago that our cruise missiles were so accurate they could hit the men's room at the Kremlin. Why don't we hit the bathrooms of some of those Russian hackers' uh, homes and offices? Well, Dave, I'm not quite sure that we ought to be throwing cruise, cruise missiles at them, but read the piece that our, our good friend and guest in the show, David Sanger, wrote in the New York Times uh, the other day, in which we have shut down, or somehow one of those uh, sites has been shut down, one of those hacker sites. And we're not sure if we did it and are being quiet about it, if Putin did it, if they did it. But uh, I think there, there are ways to shut them down. And I think if they don't do it, that uh, America ought to use its cyber weapons to do it. Uh, I'm not quite at the cruise missiles stage yet. Um, yeah, hey, James, I, 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 what, what, what think? I think is, I think there's a lot of stuff that's
1: going on, maybe good, maybe bad, that we don't know about. I mean, the solar winds breach was, was, was pretty you know, we we of course, for good reasons, we're not told everything, I don't, you know, and probably I'm like, you know, your dad was or my dad was about World War II. You don't need to know everything, you know? I mean, right. it was very right. much of that kind of mindset, you know, in particularly during, the you know, the, the, the Cold War is, and I think we have some of that going on now. I don't think we're getting the full story on how serious these, these breaches are or how much we're doing in, 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 of opposition to him. But we, we have some pretty clever people in this country, and I, I hope they're being put to good use.
0: Well, and if David Sanger right. writes it, I, I would believe it. it. Uh, yeah. So if you want to follow it, I, read I would David read Sanger. him above hey, all. Hey, not only do we have a Carvillian Democrat, but we have someone from New Orleans, Jack, uh, who is from New oh. Roads, now residing in New Orleans and attending Loyola, and the question for you is, do you think Governor John Bell Edwards challenges John Kenny, Kennedy for the Senate in 22, and does he have any kind of a chance? And he this is a twofer for Jack. Who would you bet on to be the next governor of Louisiana? All right, let's
1: have, So first of all, my mother was a young girl in, in a Boyles parish, and she moved to New Roads. And she actually graduated from Poydras High School, which was before the schools integrated was the kind of white school in New Roads. Uh... So I I spent more time on False River. I've probably spent more time in New Roads than any place other than Carville in my life. So I know know (laughs) New Roads well, to say the least. It's a a great little town in in Louisiana. Uh, I I don't think—if I had to bet, but I'd have to get odds. I'd bet he might not run for the Senate, but I I don't think that's been decided, and I think there's some chance— uh, you know the problem is, is when you run, you're going to get caught up in kind of federal issues, if you will. But if he does, I think we're going to see a lot of Joe Manchin in Louisiana. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the the next governor's race. That's a very good question, and it's going to take. And I'll just be honest here. It's going to take an inside straight for, to elect a Democrat in Louisiana's government. Uh, I, I don't. There's some some names of some people out there, but not at liberty to, to. I don't want to talk about it now to put undue heat on somebody that that could be uh, good candidates. But if you were betting, you'd 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 have to bet that the next governor of Louisiana is going to be a Republican. Uh, <sighs> Let's bring well, back Edwin Edwards. Yeah, I mean, I've just been. Yeah, what good does it do to you know? Yeah. And I think that's a, a widely right. held view. And, and and at that point, it becomes what kind of Republican do you get? If you get the attorney general, you, you, you're awful. Oh, it's just, you, you couldn't believe how awful it is. And I was uh, distressed to hear that Garrett Graves, who's a Republican congressman from the Baton Rouge area, doesn't want to run for governor.
0: If Garrett Rand, he would, you know, be about as good as you could do. Hey, James, Jason in Des Moines, Iowa, says that his sense is control of the Senate comes down to six races— uh, although only list five, Florida, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Wisconsin, and Georgia. Uh, what are your thoughts? Let me, let me give my, I think you can look at 10 Senate races now that uh, will be in play. You might add one or two uh, as events develop. I think there are five that really are toss-ups. And I, you know, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, North Carolina, and Ohio, three of those states, Republicans are retiring, and Georgia, where Warnock won in a special uh, uh, last January 6th. And I think there are five states that are, you know, one party has a little bit of an edge, but it's still competitive. And that's Florida and Iowa and New Hampshire, Missouri and Arizona. So there are 10 states in play. And unlike the House, I think the math just right now favors the Democrats because seven of those are held by Republicans. So if the Democrats break even in those 10 races, they, they gain two. And uh, events will determine it uh, over the next year and a half. But I think that's the lineup know, to that. You know,
1: I, I, the question, I think if we hold New Hampshire and Arizona, we win the Senate. Oh, okay. and, and the other thing, I, I cannot say how significant the Virginia governor's race is. And, of course, I, uh, as you know, and I'm sure people listening to the show know, I'm a big admirer of, of John Shate. You should read his piece on Stephen Moore being Youngkin's economic advisor uh, of what he wants to make Virginia into Kansas. Virginia has, the, high, I think, the highest credit rating of any state in the United States. And I have a place in Virginia, a place in Louisiana, and Virginia is so much, state government's like, so much going for it that, you know, they, they do a lot to preserve rural land, ponds, you name it. It's, it's a very prosperous state. I spent a lot of time in Virginia, and, you know, they want to turn it into Kansas and I, I hope that, and I know that Terry is, he, you know, he's not going to get caught up in this shit. He's going to go after this guy early and often, but it's, it's a hard hope. It's a really hard hope. Yeah. Well, why don't you speak a little bit to the history of Virginia and its sort of role that's coming right after presidential elections?
0: Yeah, this is, I think, I, I, let me see if I have the figures right. I think it's 11 of the last 12 Virginia gubernatorial elections, the party that holds the White House has lost that governor's race uh, after the year after the presidential race. So Terry was one of the few uh, who ever uh, bucked that trend, and to buck it twice is going to be hard. But if I had to bet, I'd, I, I think I'd put my money in McAuliffe. I,
1: I would too, and a little bit, a little slightly more confident than I was. The, the the thing that American Bridge did, with him saying, I I, I can't talk about abortion during the election. I have to do it after. Was and I mean it it, it it's hurting, him. and it it's yeah. out there, and he's getting and, some crap, with, and he's getting some crap in the right wing side. He. He's not experienced. He's wealthy. He's, I think, making two big mistakes out of the chute, which y'all are doing. I, I don't need to call Terry and said knock the living crap out of him because they are going to knock the living crap out of it.
0: Right. And having Stephen Moore as oh, his economic he's, advisor, he's, he's, uh, he, 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 is, he is a right winger. Could he couldn't even be put up for the Federal Reserve. James, Derrick in Iowa, Canada says the trajectory of your country, America, is deeply troubling. After Joe Biden, America, in the eyes of many, may no longer have a functioning democracy. Well, you know, normally I would come to the defense of my country and say, how dare you say this
1: about the land of the free, the greatest nation on earth. But, you know, you got a point. (laughs) And I I think it's up to us here in America and, you know, to to try to get that to, to not hold what we got, which is insufficient, but to sort of move ahead in this idea that we're a constant work in progress, And you're right, there's work to be done, but there's work that has been done. And that's a very, it's a difficult message. But, sir, I think your observation about our country is, I wish I could, you know, stick my chest out and point my finger, you know, and tell you you're full of shit, but I can't. (laughs) I worry
0: like you do. Yeah, I I feel the same way. Uh, I I think there's just too many... Too many things that are unsettling. And, um, you know, sort you know, of the things, Alan, people
1: say, Do you believe we got through four years of Trump? And I said, We ain't got through it yet. Okay, right.
0: not, we, we, we hadn't cleared the. How the hell did we get right. there to start with? And you're right. We yeah, haven't cleared yet. Plain. Hey, we got, we got two questions from Scranton, oh, Pennsylvania. Wow. I'm going to ask Charlie who says, couldn't Joe Biden give senators like Pat Toomey or any of the other Republican senators with Democratic governors some appointment so it would be too good to turn down and give him wiggle room and big votes like for the People Act? You know, Charlie, I wish, but it ain't going to happen. The Republicans aren't going to take it. The other states where there are Democratic governors and Republican senators like Louisiana and Kentucky, you can rest assured that it's just not going to well, happen. Well, you know what? Pro- I, I, I agree.
1: I'm pro- going try. Like, offering ambassadors to France, okay? Yeah, you know, and look what they did when, if you watch the movie Lincoln, when they got the 13th Amendment passed, they were giving everything. That, back then, it was Democrats that they needed. It's a little bit different. But anything you do, Joe, just get it done. It's not going to offend me, okay?
0: It's really not going to offend me. James, this is, this is going to be a tough one. This is the last one. Mark in Fort Pierce Florida, ask very simply, what the heck is going on in Haiti? <laughs> don't know
1: i, I, and I mean i just it, it 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 strikes me you know we, everybody learned about you know pierre toussaint louverture was the second haiti hey, he was the second you know republic after hours in a new world and you know honestly it's been a, a you have to say it's a very tragic place and this is just another tragic chapter in its history um I don't know. It's 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 sad. It's an, it's,
0: an impoverished, dysfunctional country, and um, I I mean I think it would be a tragic mistake for us to send troops oh, in there. But that's I not mean, what,
1: that's you not know, America the, the French no. had you know the one of the few French speaking places in the world. Uh, you know, some of the wealthier countries. You know, the only thing I can think of, but some some obligation. To these people, I, I, don't, I was listening to today on, on NPR, which usually gets its facts right, that I don't think there's been a single vaccine dose. I'm sure the powerful people got, got it, but I don't think an
0: average Haitian has gotten a single vaccine yet. Right. You know? No, it's a, it's a terribly dysfunctional and very, very sad place. All right, keep those letters uh, or emails uh, coming in because we love those questions. Now for the outrage of the week. Uh, James, you know, along with voting rights, the priority for House Speaker Pelosi and Senate Leader Schumer is to pass Biden's American jobs and infrastructure bills. And that's going to be really important. It will provide much needed assistance, but it's going to require added revenues. That's the only way they're going to get enough moderate Democrats. And that's got to be through tax hikes on the rich in corporations. Okay, fine. But not surprisingly, those rich interests are fighting back. Less defensible, thanks to a report in Time magazine, they are being aided by former assistants to Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and other top Democrats. Let's, as you frequently suggest, let's name names. Working with a law firm to fight against increases in corporate taxes is Arsha Siddiqui, who was Pelosi's policy director, lobbying for private equity, uh, an outrageous loophole allowing fat cats to get a special lower tax rate. Uh, is Carmenita Wander, a former aide to Schumer, helping private equity? Is Steve Elmendorf a top Democrat? Listen, I think everyone's entitled to make a living. After public service, they ought to make a good living. But this, these efforts are really aimed, and what they would end up doing is gutting the agenda of Democrats who got them where they are. And I think that's worth noting. I hope the press writes about it. Well, but
1: we're not gonna add to our Ivy League sink to Hall of Fame, but if we did, we would brand we would give these people the Jamie Gorelic Award. <laughs> 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 that people who had a lot of good a lot of talent claiming they were Democrats would do anything for a dollar. And then, unfortunately there's too many of them. Uh my outrage is this. I, I spent a lot of time in Virginia. I have, Spent a lot of time in the Shenandoah Valley in Old Town. My my daughter went to high school in Alexandria. I spent a lot of time there. It's a wonderful state. We have the highest, I think, credit rating of anywhere in the country. Uh, Parts of the state, particularly uh, northern Virginia, Richmond, Tidewater, are Booming, even out in the valley, things are going pretty good. And the Republican candidate, Glenn Youngkin, wants to turn Virginia into Kansas. Uh, Is evidenced by the fact that he, Stephen Moore, who's been wrong about more things than anybody in, I have been knew, including myself. And I think it's, it's, out. I don't know if it's an outrage, but I think Virginia has to understand what the threats of, of this are. And you really don't want to be Kansas,
0: Virginia. I promise you. Amen. Um, you know, James, next week is going to be a big week for this segment. We are going to unveil, the old timers Ivy League sphincter hall of fame this is now we're, you know keep your suggestions and recommendations coming in we, we're, we're winning it down now there's a lot of good candidates they have to meet three there's three considerations number one they have to be an Ivy League graduate number two they have to be a genuine sphincter a genuine ass and number three they have to be dead and we think they're going to be more than a handful of candidates but next week's show a week from now, we will unveil the Old Timers Sphincter Ivy League Hall uh, of I, Fame. I can't wait. I, I, my
1: mind is exploding. But I want our listeners to be very sure of one thing many hours will be spent on this. You may disagree oh. with it, but it won't be for a lack of effort.
0: It, this is not and casual, no. this is serious stuff. Hey, thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville, and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. Following the episode, we would really appreciate if you'd check out the link to our sponsors, Blinkist and HelloFresh. We really thank you for supporting them. When you do, you help make this podcast happen. To keep up with us, Subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another show as we continue our war room planning.